Albert and Barney. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you uh, jumping on tonight. How, how are you both keeping? Very good. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. No yeah, problem. Yeah, so look, I wouldn't. You've done me a favor by coming on. It wouldn't be fair if I didn't let you kind of plug your podcast and the stuff you do. So let's get that out of the way straight of all. So the Long Ball Football Podcast. Talk, talk to us about that. Yep, yeah, it's a, a weekly podcast. Well, mainly weekly podcast about Portuguese football. We cover Portuguese domestic football, so the the Portuguese Premier League, um, and of course we cover Benfica as we're going to talk about today. Uh, Porto, Braga, Sporting, but also we try and cover all the stories from the Primera Liga. You know, there's there's plenty of other teams in the league who give us amazing moments. Sort of, um, the Portuguese league is not quite a sort of Turkey or Greece level of chaotic, but you have a little bit of that element to it. So we get plenty of drama, plenty of excitement, loads of great young players. You know, so many incredible young players come through the Primera Liga. Players like uh, you know, even recently. Darwin Nunes we got to see for the first time in Europe in Portugal so stuff like that um and yeah we do a podcast every week we just chat about uh all the best games how the league's getting on the best players um and yeah it's always good fun it's good for anyone who's sort of a European football fan and wants something that they don't normally get in terms of like French or German football which is quite easily accessible awesome awesome and, and are you Portuguese then gents is that is that how the the, the tie comes along no no I think um yeah. Uh, we both just really like Portugal. I went there on holiday a few times, and uh, Albert, Albert's been learning the language. He's gone a bit a step further than me. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, we just sort of—I was quite bored of the Premier League. I, I don't have a team. I used to say I support Paul Scholes, um, but like I said, I've never had like a team that I've—I just love football basically. And then I was bored of watching the Premier League, and then I was chatting to Albert, say, "Oh, I might do a, a random fantasy f- uh, football league," and I, I thought, "I'll oh, maybe maybe do Portugal," uh, and then. We just took it one step further. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe we'll do a podcast as well. And uh, yeah, well, if, just if, ourselves if into it. If it's a holiday that got you into it, I, I can see why you don't follow the SPFL. <laughs> um, anyway, moving swiftly on. Um, <laughs> look, we're here tonight to talk really about uh, Benfica versus Rangers, last 16 of the Europa League. Uh, a crucial tie for both teams, I think it's fair to say. It will be next week's tie. I'm heading across to Lisbon, so looking forward to that one. And then obviously the return leg the following week back back at Ibrox. Um, for those listeners that are, that are um, tuning in now that don't really know much about Benfica and kind of their position within footballing culture in Portugal, could you give us a bit of a an intro to, to Benfica? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Benfica are, I think it's safe to say, undeniably the most famous Portuguese team um, and the the have the most supporters both domestically and internationally um there are of course very very fierce rivalries and that's why i want to be careful what i say because their porto fans will obviously argue about their position in the league and whether um they are the biggest club in portugal compared to compared to benfica i have looked up a couple of things to try and get a picture of this there is actually an all-time primera liga table which is based on going back to 1935 in which benfica are actually second behind porto they have something like 50 to 70 wins less um than 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 Porto, so you know perhaps you could say that means they're the second best team in in Portugal. I don't think it it's really enough to say that they they definitely got the most fans domestically. They're definitely the most recognisable Portuguese team. Um, and at the moment, in this moment in time, it's definitely fair to say also that they're the wealthiest Portuguese team. They they are able to make signings on a level that even Porto and and Sporting can't really compete with. They also um, have had the most 
success in the transfer market recently. They've had the most high-profile high transfer sales. I think they've sold three players for two or three players for more than 100 million euros now. Uh, Joao Felix was one, and uh, Enzo Fernandez was the most recent. So you know they they really are the financial powerhouse in Portugal. Definitely the most supported team in Portugal. Um, whether or not they're historically above Porto I don't think we can conclusively say that but at this moment in time definitely they are the the kind of uh the mo the powerhouse in Portugal definitely okay interesting interesting I like to see you sat on the fence there that's always good so I got I've got to be very careful <laughs> <laughs> love to see it okay great so so thanks for that intro um so looking at the league at the minute and kind of how things are panning out Benfica sat on top I think I'm right in saying there's a big game on tonight um, and then another one next week with with Porto. So tonight, for those listening, Sporting Lisbon v, v Benfica. Sporting Lisbon, a couple of points behind, game in hand, or a point behind game in hand, can can leapfrog them and and kind of take a step on. I'm I'm sure there's uh, not too many games left. That's actually that's actually a cup game, so it doesn't affect the league. But the but the game on Sunday, huge game against Porto, the Clasico, that Porto. will have big big uh, big ramifications on the title race, definitely. Okay, interesting, great. So. Um, Talk to me a bit about how they've kind of performed this year. Um, obviously brought in a lot of high-profile players. Some of the players that the Rangers fans will will recognise from last time. You mentioned before Nunez, he scored um, against us, I think, to, to draw away in Benfica. Um, clearly now you've been able to, or they've been able to to bring in um, Angel Di Maria, a world, world-class footballer, World Cup winner. Um, how have they been performing this year, both kind of domestically, clearly they're doing pretty well, but also in European um, at the European arena. Yeah, they've they've, well, as I was saying, they've sort of they're, they're the certainly a powerhouse in Portugal at the moment, and, and with all these new signings, they won the league last year under uh, Roger Smith, which was his first season uh, as Benfica manager. This season, they once again were very active in the market, as you said. Di Maria coming in like a that's probably one of the biggest players. You know, his status coming to Portugal at this time was absolutely huge, um, and they've done some very Smart signings as well. Lots of players rumoured with uh, various moves across Europe, uh, Europe like uh, Koshu, the Turkish midfielder. Um, but they, they managed to get him in and some very exciting young players as well. What hasn't translated, though, is that momentum that Schmidt bought with him last season. Um, it's you know, I'm, I'm saying this in their top of the league, but there's been a, a sort of a... It feels like they haven't made that step up, which in sort of... In keeping with the signings they've made in the in the transfer window, and um, they've had a bit of a, a few flat performances in the league, um, a few disappointing uh, results as well, and I think actually in in Europe as well, it's felt like a, a similar story. They've they've obviously got through to this stage of the Europa League, but there've been some disappointing results, and and we've certainly come away from watching games in Europe thinking they should have beaten this team, and then they haven't been able to. It seems to be the case that. Or in my opinion, anyway, that the the quality of players they have in their squad has sort of helped them through at this point of the season, and it's not so much. Maybe this is too hard to disagree with me, but Roger Smith seems to be holding holding them back a little bit. Um, okay. um, and th this is all in the context of you know <laughs> them being top of the league, um, which it, you know. But this 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 is the whole thing with Benfica and, and in Portuguese football. You know, there's. There are high standards, and, and and with the rest of the league sort of very much nowhere near the level of the the top teams. You know, it, it, when you get a poor result, it it feels really ne negative, and and yeah, I think it they've 
they 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 felt underwhelming to me this season, despite being uh, yeah top of the table. <laughs> yeah, and and it's interesting you say that. I'm not sure about your knowledge of the SPFL, but there certainly has been historically a gulf between the top teams mm. and, and the teams and, and the rest of the table. And um, you're only a draw away from a disaster, is kind of the, yeah, the yeah. term mm. we always say. So interesting that you've said that. Um, a couple of questions. The first one you mentioned about um, kind of. The, the the quality players carrying them through. Do you think Benfica's aspirations, having bought in these top level players, are to be successful in Europe or to be consistently winning at home? What what do you think that aspiration is? With big investment, usually there comes big expectations. Yeah, certainly. I mean, in terms of, I mean, for a club like Benfica, in a way, domestic success success is almost expected. That's kind of the the baseline, and it goes back to what Barney was saying about almost being underwhelmed, despite him being top of the table. Because from in many ways, being top of the table is is the baseline of of what Benfica expects. Doing well in domestic cups um, is expected. I think in terms of signings and 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 the financial model of the club, I think it's fair to say that selling on players is a is a reasonable expectation. So a lot of signings are made not just to sign quality players, but also to sign players of a certain uh, age demographic, which means they'll be able to sell them on in the future um, or from, from certain regions where perhaps they've not been um, seen by European clubs before and then they can, they can sell them on in that way. And I'm thinking particularly of players they signed from South America. Um, but, you, you know, for a club like Benfica, it's always, you know, if they win the league and win the and win the biggest Portuguese cup, it's not even necessarily been a, a, a season that the fans will think, "Oh, I'm always going to remember that season." Because chances are they'll probably do that same thing again within the next three to five years. So, um, European European success is obviously, obviously very different, and uh, the Champions League this year um, was a big disappointment. And I think um, an aspect of them perhaps being a bit flat in the league in the first part of the season was struggling to deal with playing in Europe and playing domestically. I, I can't remember exactly how many games it was, but they lost some like multiple games in the Champions League in a row. They didn't get a win in ages. I think they got they ended the, with four points in a group, and it, it was a tough group. It had Real Sociedad, uh, Inter, and um, RB Leipzig. I think so. You know, all good teams, and and you know, you're not necessarily guaranteed results against any of those teams. But also Benfica by no means minnows in that group. So. That was a bit of a, a disappointment, but um, yeah, I mean, Champions League football is unfortunately, you know, Portugal, in, and perhaps I think you know there are quite a few similarities between Portugal and Scotland in terms of in football and how the league is, like you say, it's a kind of a two-team league in Scotland is pretty much a three-team league in in Portugal, and how, if we're being honest, perhaps these are leagues that once were the jewels in the crown of European football and now have kind of fallen behind. The Careful. traditional top five. Well, you know, in in fairness, so I think you know, for Benfica, there is a kind of disparity between European football and and domestic football, where domestic success is is expected, but European success is something that they haven't really had in quite a long time. Yeah. Okay. Well, it feels like the clubs are potentially at different stages. I think Rangers are at the stage where we're trying to establish that stronghold in the league and be consistent mm. winners of the league. Um, which which we've kind of flirted with over the past couple of years, but never been able to get over the line, apart from when we had Gerard in. Um, and and I think you're right in what you say about this. There's the kind of the big leads leagues where the money is, the investment, the sponsorships, etc. And then there's the other leagues that are kind of periphery that maybe have to work on a player trading model. It's something mm-hmm. that Rangers want to bring in and probably look at clubs like Benfica, Porto, where they've had that talent coming in and been able to release that on for huge profit 
um, as, as a great example of, of, of how that can be done well. Cool. So moving on then, um, we mentioned Roger Smith earlier. Um, talk to me a bit about kind of what he's brought to the club, um, the expectations that are on his shoulders, and I guess kind of how he's received with the fans. Yeah, I think the, the thing with Roger Smith is um, when he first arrived, it was after um, a failed tenure of um, Jorge Jesus, uh, who's quite a famous Portuguese manager but and quite a character. And he was... Well, he'd, he'd, Benfica had spent a lot of money under him and then he had failed to deliver uh, any sort of success. And so we also had a um, Rui Costa, the, the Portuguese legend, AC Milan legend, become president of Benfica as well. And with the Hibs, his arrival, and then Roger Smith, it felt like a new, very much a new era. And, um, and as I said last year, they did extremely well to win the league. But I think a lot of that was... Well, certainly now I feel like a lot of that was to do with the release of not being under this cloud of misery of, you know, the old uh, president and, and George Jesus. It was mm -hmm. just to have something, someone new, someone from uh, outside of Portugal coming in. I think that gave a lot of players at that club a sort of a, a, a relief. And, and I think they that's why they were so successful last year. I think what we've seen happen this season um, play out is teams getting a bit wise to Roger Smith and his sort of lack of well Roger Smith's very much a, a person who likes to be I say cautious he's very much about balance you know he, he's not someone who's going to throw caution to the wind he's not someone who's going to change up uh, anything drastically he, he sets out a team who he, he feels are going to be able to um, press well um, defend well keep it keep it solid and then and sort of hope those um, and then the attacking players sort of create something themselves in we've seen a lot this season as i said teams sort of work that out and teams uh, the smaller teams have success when they've able to sort of just attack from the off and then roger smith seems to be a manager who doesn't like to change things during a game either he's, he's very slow to react um sticks to his ways and sort of just expects the 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 results to come in and that that hasn't happened um Fans have sort of become a bit upset about that because you know, as we've we've all spoken about, the, the, the squad at Benfica is ridiculously talented and particularly depth, which you don't often get in this Portuguese. The amount of money they've spent and the quality of players they have on the bench, and to see him not use those players, you know, he's, he very much has his trusted uh, players that he likes to play. Um, one of the standout players has um, been um, he's a Norwegian, sorry, I've forgotten that, but Ausnes. Yeah, he came from uh, Holland, but uh, a, a central midfielder who's been playing left back for the whole season, and and they've they've signed left backs and they have left backs available, but he's he's stuck with a player like Alisson because he trusts him, and um, similar to to João Mario, sort of a famous Portuguese player, who, you know, was at Inter for a bit and West Ham, uh, another player who fans aren't so taken with because he's you know there's other players there who have the skill and the flair and and that, you know that little bit of that spark, but. Yes. Jean Mario will be playing because he brings that stability, that that sort of, um, and, and and yeah, that like I said, that's had that's had mixed results. Because last year it served them very well, but this year, and and as I was said in, in Europe, it was evident that it didn't work, and and the the sort of yeah, the reluctance to change, and, and particularly during games, is, is really um, benevolent this season. Yeah, yeah, and look, I think as as a Rangers fan, I'm sure a lot of the Rangers fans watching this will be able to echo that watching a game and you can see something crying out for a spark or 
someone mm. different to come on and change things up. Um, and not and it not coming to fruition on the pitch is, is a very frustrating thing. Um, I think one thing for context uh, with Philippe Clement, who's coming at Rangers, he seems to be humble enough to make a change at half time, humble enough to you know to, to to make those changes, which is great from a fan's point of view. And 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 at the weekend, oh sorry, uh, last night actually against Kilmarnock, uh, he was he made changes at half time to completely flip the game yeah. on its head. So um, it is it is a good thing to, to to see from a fan's point of view. Before we get on to some of the key players and I guess kind of um, Schmidt's real sort of style of play uh, on the pitch, I just was interested to understand what the press and I guess the population's perception was when when uh, the draw was made at Neon the other week, at, um, Rangers versus Benfica. What was the what, what was the reaction? I think it really depends who you listen to. I mean, I, I definitely did see predictably some of you know sort of fan accounts on on Twitter saying. Great draw, you know. This is we could, you know, we couldn't have asked for a better draw than this. Uh, but then I don't think that was something really echoed by anyone in the media or really any fans who've who've kind of know more what they're talking about. I don't think that was really a sentiment. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily um, incorrect for either. Uh, Rangers or Benfica fans to be mildly pleased with this draw because you know the fact remains that there are bigger teams in the draw that were avoided you know Liverpool AC Milan stuff like that so from that perspective it, it could have been worse um, but I think Portuguese fans uh, Benfica fans and neutrals as well um, will still have uh, memories of even recently uh, playing Braga in the Europa League and, and how that went and I think um, that was a real kind of um, we saw how strong a team like Rangers can be, and, and Braga, you know, would have gone okay. Well, we've got a chance to go through here, but I think they were beaten pretty well in over two legs. So um, I don't think people are really underestimating this. Of course, it could have been worse, um, but in general, I think um, you know, I think people, I think people are looking forward to to a good game, you know. And, and I think Portugal, in Portugal, there's a lot of respect for the kind of. Uh, atmosphere and stuff that you get at Ibrox. I remember when in the when uh, Rangers played Braga, you know the Portuguese media was really kind of taken with the atmosphere and the 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 fan footage and the the you know the mm -hmm. fireworks and all that kind of stuff. So I think in that sense, people are, are looking forward to uh, you know there's a, there is a lot of mutual respect. I I think, um, but you know, make no mistake, Benfica will be aiming to win this game and they will they will believe that um, it's within their power to do so. Definitely. Yeah, and and look, I think on paper both Rangers and Benfica probably would have would have been quietly confident or or at least mm. satisfied with the draw. I think that's fair fair thing to say. I think from a Rangers point of view, we know that we can um, if we stay firm out there, we've always got a chance when we get back to Ibrox. Yeah. I think the result that we you know you mentioned earlier beating RB Leipzig isn't for everyone, but it certainly yeah. was for us a few years ago. And uh, <laughs> long you know that that stays long in the memory. Um, great. Well, th thanks for that. So. Let, let's talk a bit more about the tie. So Benfica v Rangers first, as I mentioned, it's it's next week, next Thursday. Talk to me a bit about some of the key players on the night from a Benfica point of view and who Rangers really need to keep an eye on. Yeah, for me, the the well, the player who's really in form at the moment is uh, Rafa. Um, uh, he's a really interesting player for me because he's he's. His form fluctuates, and for the few years we've been watching this league and watching him. You know, there's one week I'm saying on our podcast, this guy's world class. Why is he not a big club? And the next week I'm like, this guy, what? Like, you know, I can see why he hasn't got that move. Um, I would say this year, though, however, I feel like he's, and 
he's come to the end of his contract and he's, he's made a few comments and indicate he might be leaving. I don't know if that's the reason why, but he certainly feels a, a bit more consistent this, this season. And in, in his last few games, especially, he's just looked so confident. Um, they just won, um, was it 6-2 against um, Bezella? And he was scoring like outside of the foot shots, a beautiful Trevor cross. Like he's just... He's brewing of concerts. In that game, he was playing as a striker, which is the first time this season that's happened because um, Roger Schmidt's been toying with... He's had a, a couple of options in the striking position, Artic Brow, Cash uh, Tengstead, both who have not really impressed at all, and he seems to have rotated. So in this game, to see Rafa playing as that main man up top and that, that licence to just roam across the, the width of the pitch, he was he looks he's great and he looks really dangerous. Um, whether Schmidt does that against Rangers, we'll have to see, but for me, that was that was possibly Benfica at their best this season. And of course Di Maria, who we've mentioned, who just just brings is just brought that real class. Like it's it's, it's it's it was obvious as that was gonna happen because it he's he's been so good. And was he 36? But it's still and, and he's still just incredible and he creates so much. Um so uh, for me but out of everyone I'd I'd say Rafa. I'm not sure if Albert was I've got anyone else to offer because there's been a quite a few Impressive performance reasoning, but for me, I'll say I'll say Raf is the danger man. Yeah, absolutely, I would agree with that. Okay, great. Um, so, so looking at it from a Rangers lens, then we've talked about who the kind of key players are from a, attacking from a, um, I guess, positive point of view. Where do you think Rangers can uh, unsettle Benfica? Where do you think the points of weakness are that we could look to exploit? Well, I feel like. I'm not sure if this is just me, but I feel like this is the same answer for most clubs. And it's probably if you're going to pick any weaknesses, it will be fullback. Um, and depending if that player that Barney mentioned, Frederick Algenes, uh plays at left back, uh, perhaps I would specify as well left back. If um, perhaps if he doesn't play there, Schmidt opts to play him in the field, or sometimes he's even played him in the front three. Um, that could be an area because uh, they've signed a new young Spanish left back from Manchester United. His name escapes me, but he's pretty untested. So perhaps that could be um, an area of weakness. And, and on the other side, at right back, they have a, a Danish fullback called Alexander Barr, who actually has been pretty impressive. And I, I do like yeah. um, I do like Barr, so it's pretty solid there. But yeah, left back, they've basically been rotating through Frederick Algenes, who's very solid and does an admirable job, actually, even though he's basically a defensive midfielder of playing an attacking fullback and he's right-footed, but he's a real utility player. So he's done an admirable job, although perhaps at the you know European level, not the most spectacular player. Um, they've also been rotating with uh, a left-footed basically a left-footed centre-back called Morato, who that kind of tells you everything you need to know about the way he plays. Defensively solid, but perhaps not, again, a marauding um, left-back, although he does, again, admirably sort of get involved when he when he needs to. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general, I think Benfica have a pretty solid team and, and they've done pretty well at plugging gaps where there were previously areas. Like, for example, goalkeeper was... Uh, a bit of a problem area under their previous goalkeeper, uh, Vlakonimos, who actually got a move to the Premier League with Nottingham Forest, but that's a that's a different story. But they've replaced him pretty well um, with a keeper called Anatoly Trubin, who has looked very solid. He's a young keeper they bought from Shakhtar Donetsk, I believe. Um, okay. So there's there's not huge problem areas, but definitely left back. I think depending who they play, it'll be interesting to see who they do pick on the day. Is an area where um, perhaps they don't have the most spectacular choices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can I just come come in? Because I, I was listening to your 
podcast from last week about um you know, I heard listening to you talk about Yilmaz and Cortez, right? Your yeah. um, left hand side. And I was thinking about Benfica's right hand side. As Albert mentioned, Barr is a great right back and he's just he's back from injury for the last few weeks, so he's been a real boost to that team. And we've other I've just spoken about Di Maria as well, but what you don't get from Di Maria is that defensive cover, right? And and Barr is quite well, I think he's quite an attacking fullback as well. So whether those spaces there can can open up and then then you're looking at coming into Antonio Silva, the young uh, uh, centre-back who's had a breakthrough season last year. I think he's 18, 19 years of age. A, a hell of a player, but he's still young. And and, and I, I I haven't seen many performances where I felt that. Like, like oh, he seems that bit of an experience. He's, he's, he's an incredible player, but but I don't know. On that side of the fence might be the area that you'll have the, most, the best bet. The other thing I had is... Um, just sorry, as it's just midfield, and and the creative players in that midfield. Whether it, I think that's going to probably going to be Koshu, the, the Turkish players we mentioned. And he's been playing slightly deeper for Benfica than he, he likes. He does play as a ten, but he's sort of been playing in a sort of double pivot. Um, sure. And the games they struggle is when they haven't been able to create. He hasn't given that space. He hasn't been able to get forward because he's having to work too much. And so that's an area that I, I think could be a range to get out as well. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Um... Well, look, guys, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up shortly. So um, I just want to say thanks again very much for uh, for joining us. It's uh, it, it's great to hear the insider knowledge. Um, but before I do, um, the first thing I want to ask is a scoreline prediction. So, Albert, <laughs> I'll, I'll hand over to you and, and, you know, watch your follow account either go up or go down, depending <laughs> on your answer. Is this for the home leg or for both legs? Well, let's have both then, go on. Oh, I mean, it's hard to predict. I think from experience, I think... I'm inclined to say the the leg at Ibrox is where this will be won or lost. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that Benfica take a lead after the home leg. might not be loads. It might not be what they're used to doing in the league when they're playing against smaller Portuguese teams scoring three, four, five goals. But I think, um, you know, Benfica are, you know, a, a great team. You know, and I, I don't want to disrespect anyone by predicting a Benfica win. But I think, you know, let's, you know let's, Benfica are a great team. They're going to have a starting eleven of hundreds of millions of pounds worth of transfers on the pitch. So, you know, this is a team with pedigree and, and great players. And I think they can probably win at home, but the away leg is where I start to get nervous. So I think um, unless Benfica can perform really well, and if they can perform really well and play at their best, I think they can hurt Rangers at home with maybe two goals, maybe three, I'd, possibly if things go really well. But I think if the scoreline is more like a one-goal lead or a draw or, or Rangers lead, of course, after the home leg, then I think the ball is really... In, in in Rangers court after that so the first leg for me will, will be pivotal um it's it's really tight I don't want to sit on the fence I think I would you know as a Portuguese podcast I'll back Benfica to go through but if they do it won't be easy and I think it's going to be you know a, a tough two legs for both teams I think great okay I think just just on that point I think and one thing I was going to say earlier it's a very interesting dynamic for Rangers and possibly Benfica as well, because when you're used to playing some of the teams in the leagues, you're playing against the low block. It's more of a mm. battle of wits and, and tiring them out and, and persistence to try and break through that low block. I think when it comes to these European ties, it's very interesting to see a team come out and play against you and actually try and you know progress the ball forward, commit men forward. Mm. And I think that's, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think that's where Rangers play best. And I think okay. we're, we're best when, when teams when we can expose them. And uh, so it'll be interesting to 
to see what happens on the night. Barney, over to you. Hope you're not going to be on the fence as well, pal. <laughs> no, no, I, I, it just came to me in my head. I, I, well, after hearing you just say that, I think if, if Rangers were to get an early goal, they lose. But I, I, I'm going to say 3 0 to Benfica first leg. And then I think I see it going to Ibrox. I think you get two goals and then it's just a cagey last end to the game. And and at that point, it could be anyone's because I think Benfica could crumble in, in that situation. And then, you know, extra time, I think you've got it. But yeah, maybe I'll go 3 2, 3 0 first leg, 2 0 second leg. Okay. All right. Well, look, Albert Barney, thank you so much for joining us on the Rangers Journal. Um, if you've enjoyed this pod, if you enjoyed this stream, then please do like and subscribe. Thanks very much. Good night. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you.